Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we're the quantum mechanics. We're the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters and everyone in between. Now, Ben, I, I did have something to talk about this week, which is to do with the weird stuff that has been going on with your car, because I've had a bit of an experience. But I'm going to save that for next week to talk about because... We've got an amazing guest this week, right? Yeah, we have. I have been... So, over Christmas, I discovered this podcast. I told anyone who would listen about this podcast, and lots of people have come back to me and said they loved it. And I, as soon as I heard it, I messaged him on Facebook and said, please, will you come on the show? And he was very gracious and said that he would. The show is about an incident which appears to be paranormal, but is it? Well... Here's, here's the promo, and uh, then we'll introduce him. This story is not a work of science fiction. Everything you're about to hear is true. The Rhodesian nationalist leader, Bishop Abel Muzarewa, has accepted Mr. Smith's offer to negotiate an... For Southern Television, a TV station based in the south of England, November 26, 1977, was a day like any other, until 5pm, when this happened. The broadcast had been hijacked by a deep, echoey voice. The speaker identified themselves as Vrilon and claimed to be calling from outer space. The message lasted for six more minutes, but then it was gone. We understand that viewers in some parts of the region are receiving a breakthrough in sound. Nobody came forward to claim responsibility for this event. To this day, no one knows who was behind it. But that's where I come in. I'm Tommy Trelawney. I am going to investigate what really happened and unravel an incident that was the very first of its kind. Join me on this UFO odyssey. It's gonna get weird. Earth, as you call it. Well, that's intriguing. So joining us this week is the host of that show, Tommy. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Nice to meet you both. It's amazing to actually see you in the flesh because I found your podcast. It was recommended to me sort of over the Christmas period when I was just mumbling around, bumbling around, you know, eating cheese and um, trying not to finish off all the port. And <laughs> I I was intrigued by the title. Then when I saw what it was about, I thought, well, wow, this is right up my street. And I listened to every single episode in that night. I went to bed with episode two playing about 10 o'clock and I stayed awake till three, listened to the whole thing in one go. I was absolutely mesmerised. That's awesome. But it feels like... The reason that I was mesmerised is because you were completely, I guess, enamoured by this mystery. Yeah, it's it's a weird mystery. An alien interrupting the television in the <laughs> 70s, 45 years ago. It's weird to sort of pitch it and say to people, this is what I'm into. But I remember hearing that audio of this incident, and you can hear it in the trailer, and actually you get the full audio online. It's just completely bizarre. And the way I think I describe it is it's itchy. It gets in your mind and it gets on your skin and you just can't help but scratch it. So I found that I just kept on thinking about it 
and the fact that there was no answers to it, nobody knows what happened. I felt like, uh, well, someone's got to do it. Someone's got to actually investigate this and, um, you know, pull at the strings, really. Well, I'm old enough to have been alive when it happened, but I don't recall it happening because obviously I was very young. But I grew up being told about it because my father is in broadcasting and he had found this an intriguing mystery and he'd just put it into the box of no one will solve this. This this is like this happens like 20 odd years before you were born. How did you first come in come across it was it because you were researching for your youtube channel because i know you cover mysterious stories on your youtube channel or did you get told it by somebody um so firstly it's 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 rare to meet anyone that actually knows of the instance i'm really glad that you're at least familiar with it um so yeah i'm i am a youtuber that's my sort of full-time job um and it started out looking into obscure topics that's what my channel is about it's called hochelaga um, and I look into obscure topics that deserve more attention. And the story of the Southern television interruption is one of my earliest videos. Um, I think I found it on a Wikipedia entry, really sparse, not much going on. And I think that's where my sort of love of it started. And that was actually way back in 2020. And then I made an eight minute video, kind of talking about the basics, an alien on the TV, um, you know, connections with UFO religions. And then ultimately, you know, being eight minutes, I sort of say, we'll never get to the bottom of this. And then as I mentioned earlier, it being sort of itchy, I just couldn't resist looking more into it. And then so in January 2022, so this time last year, my New Year's mm. resolution was, right, we're going to go with this. We're going to try and uh, figure something out, learn more about this bizarre unsolved mystery. So it sounds a bit like a kind of mystery worm that got into your brain and you, you, you couldn't let it go. I think so. A mystery worm is a good way to describe it. I think I'm going to go for that metaphor rather than itchy from now on. <laughs> yeah. And did you, I mean, of course it sounds ridiculous, but I have to ask, was there ever a moment where a little tiny bit of you went, eh, could it be real? You know, is it, could it really be aliens? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I'm I'm a very sceptical person in general. You know, I, when I see sort of things to do with aliens and I'm quite dubious. So the reason I say yes is because throughout this investigation, going down, you know, religions related to UFOs or pirate radio or Yuri Geller, uh, there are so many dead ends. And so it became, for me, a very convenient explanation. It was like, you know what? Oh, I can't solve this. It was aliens. Um, and so <laughs> it was like the sort of, you know, pit of despair answer I'd arrive at. Although this alien uh, has an English accent and very small <laughs> yes. catchment area in Hampshire. So I feel, you know, there's a, I don't know. <laughs> That's what kept me going for terrestrial, not extraterrestrial. <laughs> and well, the other thing that kind of hit me is the name. It's almost like if you were going to create a name for an alien, Rilon is kind of what you'd go for, isn't it? It's never, it's never George. Is it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Vrilon. But, um, and an interesting detail about that name. So actually, when it happened, people weren't sure of the name. It was Vrilon or Gramaha or Bramaha. I'm surprised not Yamaha, the keyboards. But <laughs> but with the name, and this sort of ties into those UFO religions, um, 
one of the founders of a very popular UFO religion in the 70s was a guy called Claude von Vrillon. That's his name. It's a French wow. name. And so that, I think, is the origin of that name, Vrillon. Some people talk about this thing called Vril, which is the sort of 18th century, you know, word for energy. But I think the name Vrillon is probably borrowed from these movements. Maybe. Maybe. Interesting. And when we talk about, well, when you talk about um, UFO religions and cults, there's, I'm sort of, what I'm thinking of are people who claim that they have had interactions with alien beings they've had messages and then they are trying to gather a bunch of people to sort of preach that message they become um sort of cult leaders and you know they wear peculiar clothes and that sort of thing i didn't realize there were quite as many as appear to be it was it very common in the 70s it's a really big subculture. Actually, it goes back to the 50s. So the reason I got so interested in the UFO religions is because um, that alien message is the only thing we have to go on. The thing that interrupted the TV for six minutes, it's basically a sermon. And there's lots of words relating to these UFO movements. A big one is Ashtar Command, mm. Vrilon of the Ashtar Galactic Command. And... Um, Ashtar Command was the name of a UFO religion that sprung up in the 50s. And it's actually the, probably the very first one that's definite UFO religion. Um, and, you know, you have this guy called George Van Tassel who says, hey, I've been speaking to aliens and I'm going to start a movement based on my teachings and spread it. And then across the world, similar movements popped up. And whilst they sound like quite quirky and bizarre, and, you know, they, they are quirky, I think, and there's no denying alien religions, um, they do follow a very similar playbook to any other religion. You have a prophet who communicates with the heaven, uh, with the stars, and then spreads his message, creates movement. You have holy teachings. These UFO religions operate by the same playbook. So actually, like... Whilst they do seem very 20th, 21st century, really, they're just the next stage of religion and how religion evolves and develops. You know, it's the long story. I wanted to ask you about that in relation to traditional, let's say, religions, because I, I think you touched upon it in one of the early episodes that, you know, there are people that believe there are bits of the Bible that lean towards Jesus or God being an alien creature or being... Uh, we've covered it in terms of some of the religious artwork, even though it was created after way after the event. You know, oh, that's a UFO in that picture, all those things. In in your studies of UFO religions and the more traditional religions, people who say that, oh, these traditional religions could be based in some kind of UFO encounter, is that just kind of, do you think that's just making the text work for their point of view or is there something... Could there be something in that? Oh, well, I mean, the idea of aliens anyway is something we've all sort of thought about, you know, whether extraterrestrial life exists. Chances are we'll never know. The question is, have they visited? And obviously, yeah, have they influenced religions? The way I think that the way UFO religions work is in order to gain legitimacy or how to, you know, say, yeah, we're actually quite old. Um, it's by looking at earlier religions as examples of UFO contact that has been interpreted as aliens. Um, so my background before 
you know, making podcasts and YouTube is in religious studies and um, biblical theology. I'm not religious myself, but I just find this sort of stuff fascinating. And loads of people look to the Bible, as you kind of mentioned, as an examples of, oh, these are, these are UFO, you know, encounters. Uh, a big one I felt over Christmas. Do you know the song A Spaceman Came Travelling by Krista Burr? Yeah, so, I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, if you look at the lyrics, it's all about a UFO dropping baby Jesus off and everyone singing and it's fantastic. And that's one thing. And, you know, you can have the burning bush or a big one is in Ezekiel 1 in the Old Testament. The prophet Ezekiel sees this completely bizarre vision of angels from heaven and they are sort of wheels interlocking with wheels. And it's just very bizarre. So people in these UFO movements will be like, oh, those are definitely aliens. And actually, Jesus was maybe an alien or the Buddha or Muhammad. And they've been trying to teach us throughout history about the truth about aliens. And these UFO movements are like, no, this is the definitive message and follow me and follow us. So it's a, it's a long history. It's surprisingly long for such a niche subculture. Yeah, because I, I, I was struck. There's that moment uh, in one of the episodes where uh, you visit the Aetherius Society uh, and you're you're in. I guess it's it's almost a their version of a religious setting. I think it was after you'd done your interview, and, and you, I think you describe it kind of felt like a spiritual place in some way. But I was struck by you saying there were pictures of Buddha and Jesus there. Uh, is that kind of what you're talking about? How how these religions have kind of almost taken these elements and made it part of their religion? I know there was pictures of their founder as well, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. When I went to the Theory Society, which is Britain's oldest UFO religion. Yeah, they have pictures of Buddha, Jesus. and Because I think that with traditional religions, what, what you find is they're sort of location specific. For some reason, ancient Judea was a real hub for religions as well as sort of <laughs> India, North India. So what I think UFO religions want to do is, well, aliens are, you know, interested in the whole earth. So let's gather all these different religious movements from around the world as a sort of universal way of contact. And um, yeah, so I, th I think that's how they work. But the Ethereum Society, um, yeah, they, they, they sort of borrow and take bits of traditional religions, especially Hinduism and yoga. They love yoga and they sort of add a bit of sci-fi and aliens into it, which I think is fantastic. <laughs> well, of course, Scientology has done that as well. Um, it's uh, it's remarkable. I hadn't really realised until I guess we started doing this podcast and then I watched the Scientology uh, movie, the one that was on, uh, the famous one that was on Netflix. And yeah, there's a whole bunch about alien souls and it's all quite complicated. And that is, in a way, I suppose, a UFO cult, in a way. Yeah, um, Scientology... That, that's definitely the most famous UFO religion around. And it often does get called cult, um, which is what the word I learned with cult was um, Dr. Michael Rothstein in the podcast told me that a cult is a baby religion that we don't like. It's kind of a, you know, a, a term against these. And, you know, Scientology does have a quite a, a, an iffy history. So, um, yeah, but with, with Scientology... Um, it's, it's the same thing. You have this guy called Elron Hubbard, who uh, I believe was a sci-fi writer, and Ooh. he was an amateur um, sort of psychologist, I think, and he developed a system 
where it's kind of like a lie detector test in which you can, I think it's called um, an e-meter. Um, and you have this psychology tool and the sci-fi books, and then they sort of combine into becoming a movement. And yeah, as you mentioned, like a lot of the... Um, the beliefs and the stories are really borrowed from from sci-fi. You have Emperor Zenu and the galactic souls and there's a war and then the spirits fly away and then sort of land on Earth. And we, as living beings, are kind of reincarnated alien souls. Um, it, it feels weird explaining that uh, clearly, but I think you have to be quite high up to know that. Um, but that got leaked, so now we know. <laughs> that we all know. Yeah. Yeah. I still ha- I still haven't forgiven Scientologists for the John Travolta movie Battlefield Earth, which <gasps> oh, is yeah. two hours I'll never get back. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to see that. I recently got that book Battlefield Earth. It's huge, and uh, yeah, I've I read it. It's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm worried. I might I might uh, give that a pass. Well, but... uh, in, fa- in fairness, it does. It at first when I read the book, I was like, oh, this is going somewhere, and then it just oh, okay. No, it's not. But, um, <laughs> yeah. yes, I'm sure. I'm sure lots of people out there will disagree with me. <laughs> that message of peace and love was definitely a message that lots of contactees were coming up with in the 70s and through the 80s. And I guess we can backwards engineer like a fear of the Cold War and that sort of thing. But the people who really believe it, it feels like they really believe it. It's not just. Um, a made-up thing. So you spoke to, in your journey, a channeler. Yes, I did. <laughs> that, was, that was fascinating. It was really interesting. So, yes, the reason I sort of went down this whole UFO rabbit hole, really, and um, it's because, yeah, that message, it's full of these religious phrases. And these UFO religions, one way they work is you have the founder, a prophet, who can channel aliens with their mind. They're kind of like an antenna that the aliens get in contact with and sort of speak through. So I thought, okay, well, if Rillon did that to the TV sets in 1970s, maybe there is someone who I can get in contact with Rillon with. You know, ring them up, alien hotline, let's chat mm. to Rillon. So in episode three, I, I decided, you know what, as a sort of journalist, I better cover all bases. So let's speak to Vrillon directly, or I guess like indirectly. Um, And so I found this guy who can speak to Ashtar Command. And, um, you know, he he rung Vrillon up with with his mind. Uh, In the the podcast itself, you can't see what happens, but I could. And what he did was he dipped his head down, rolled his eyes back and swayed kind of like a cobra to music. And head up, and it was Vrillon, and he had a different voice on. Um, the question is, was he actually communicating with Vrillon? Or, if you're more sceptical like me, is this all some sort of performance? I don't know. I'm open-minded, but I'm also uh, sceptical. And But strangely, the answers this person gave, the channeler, or, or Vrillon gave, uh, were really quite accurate. Familiar with the event, knew what was going on, and was able to actually give some like added details. So... According to Vrillon, the reason why the alien did it was, yeah, to warn people, but they wanted to do it again. They were going to hijack the BBC, apparently, according to this channeler. Um, They were trying to protect people. And I also asked the alien, okay, what have you been up to since the 70s? And he said, you know, just hanging out, uh, been helping with music a lot. So apparently 
Eminem is an alien. Apparently, uh, Chris Hemsworth, who's Thor. Uh, Tobey Maguire, who's Spider-Man. So lots of aliens in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, apparently. <laughs> I was worried about Tobey Maguire because he has got quite a bad rep in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I, I, I was like, oh, I'm with it. I'm with it, Thor. Yeah, yeah. I, I, oh, Tobey Maguire. Oh, does that really work? Um, your channeler. <laughs> I, I, I got the same impression when I listened to that episode. Your channeler seemed quite informed and was really on the game in terms of answers and I did wonder at the time like you said even mentioning the BBC because he was he had an American accent I'm assuming he was in America um he um how much information did you give him before you went on the call Mm. Yeah. So when I was going into this interview obviously this is a real deep end thing for me because you know interviewing a person I think I can do that. Interviewing an alien through a person, not so much. Um, so what I wanted to do is I didn't want to dive in straight away with like the big questions, because I think that in the off chance that this is just a person who's, you know, getting $50 to pretend to be an alien, in the off chance of that, um, I didn't want to sort of like, you know, close them up. So I... Uh, when I asked the questions, I gave them a lot of information. I gave them loads of information, being like, it's in the 70s, it's a warning, it was on British television. And it gave the alien channeler enough information to work with in order to give an answer. But I think he was probably familiar with the event anyway. Uh, I think if you mix around in these circles like I do, you tend to hear about it. And much like you mentioned at the start, you tend to hear about it if you're interested in like psychology, parapsychology. Um, so yeah, the start was, was more sort of giving information and then the rest is just sort of like sitting back and enjoying just a bizarre conversation. So I guess the skeptic would say probably had enough information to work with and through a bit of kind of cold reading and, and, and the right kind of interpretation of what you were saying could have pulled it off maybe. Definitely. Yeah. Cause I think that's how, you know, if you go on, you watch TV, that's how psychics will work. They will say vague things, you know, if, is anyone in the audience, um, I don't know, recently bereaved and then sort of half the audience put their hands up and then you might point someone out and be like, did this person have a vowel in their name? And then like, oh yes, yes. And then you could just go from, from Do you know a person called John? John, John Smith. Um, and so I think there's a bit of that and I think, you know, this, that, that could have been the case with this one or, you know, if you're more, uh, you know, alien-minded, it really is a genuine communication with with the aliens above. I'm right. a little bit, you know, sceptical, but, you know. Well, there are some people who, um, and they tend to float around in the American far-right circles, but they would, some would claim, I think, that it could be a spirit with evil intentions claiming to be that, you know, that alien voice um there's quite a few people who um i was reading an article about it people who believe in um what is it when they're all taken up um into the sky all the believers oh the rapture the rapture yes people who believe in the rapture there is there's a there's a subset of those people who think that when psychics are talking to spirits they're actually speaking to demons who have ulterior motives and want to steal their soul oh wow and and uh, it, it, when you were speak when you were speaking to him i thought that 
I suspect there'll be some people who have that explanation in in their minds. We're not trying to freak you out, Tommy. You're never going to sleep <laughs> no. again, are you? I spoke to a demon. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense, though, because in a lot of these UFO movements, what happens when two people start talking to the same alien? You know, in, in the 50s, you have this guy called George Van Tassel, and then you get um, a guy called the Reverend Robin Shaw, <clears throat> who suddenly starts to communicate with aliens and what they did to each other was like oh no you're not talking to the right alien you're talking to an evil alien and vice versa <laughs> so it's kind of how religions work it's sort of you know delegitimizing the other person's beliefs and calling them demons so that makes sense with the rapture idea about yeah oh no it's demons it's demons if in doubt it's always a demon <laughs> yeah the the other person that really struck me as being an odd conversation was during your uh investigation you come across Yuri Geller, and he's a difficult man to get hold of. How did you manage to track him down? I think you left a message for him on his on his Zoom, didn't you? Uh, yeah, it was. That was uh, another odd conversation. I've had a lot of odd conversations in in the interruption. Um, yeah, it was. Yuri Geller had connections to a group I was interested in, a group that had been saying we were going to hijack TV stations or knew of a plan to hijack TV stations. And they were very active in the 70s. Um, and, you know, that's enough information for me to be curious. And surprisingly, they were very close with Yuri Geller. Yuri Geller actually came from that little group. And so I was very curious, wanted to learn more, especially because the people who I was interested in are no longer with us. I, I messaged the Yuri Geller Museum in Tel Aviv. Um, and yeah, he has a museum about himself and it's full of bent spoons and you know, psychic objects. So I, I emailed them being like, hi, can I speak to Yuri Geller? I have this guy I'm interested in who might help me out in my weird journey. Uh, I name drop a guy called Dr. Paharic, who's the guy I'm looking for. And um, I get an email back quite shortly after and it was from Yuri himself. And it has a little phone number at the bottom. And he's like, let's WhatsApp. Let's chat. So I'm completely uh, a mixture between starstruck and nervous and what the hell is going on. Um, so we start chatting on WhatsApp and he sends me a voice memo, which you can hear in the, in the podcast itself. And um, we arrange a time and I, I give him a call and we get chatting. Um, and yeah, he's. I was very surprised that he would talk to a complete stranger like me, especially with a weird request. Yeah. But um, he was quite candid about his experience with extraterrestrials and the like. And um, he, it's often believed with Yuri, with these UFO religions, uh, that Yuri was gifted his powers from extraterrestrials themselves. So in preparation for the interview, I looked at Yuri's books and his autobiography, and he claimed, uh, or it's claimed about him, that at the age of six, he sees an alien and he's sort of chosen and uh, Yuri can use his powers for good to unite the world. And uh, so that, that that's Yuri. Um, that's what Yuri talked about. <laughs> I guess he went for a career in showbiz rather than saving the world. However, I think nowadays he's back on saving the world business. I think he tried to stop Putin invading Ukraine with his mind. That's one thing he's done quite recently. Uh, I'm not sure if that's worked just yet. We'll have to wait how that pans out, I guess. Also, Brexit, I think he claimed that he would reverse it with his mind. Um, he, so he's getting involved in politics and hopefully, you know, well, we'll, we'll see if the results are, are going to happen. But, you know, you never know a psychics. Um. 
Well, it's interesting because uh, we we did cover in a previous episode. We did a whole thing about Yuri Geller and uh, a magician called James Randi. I don't know if you've heard of him, oh. but he is. Uh, he spent quite. There was a bit of a feud that went on between them. He would try and debunk what Yuri was doing. Um, and I, I was interested in the podcast you played a little bit from the Johnny Carson show, mm. which is quite famous. Um, and James Randi actually worked with Johnny Carson to set up those tests in a way that couldn't be uh, navigated, let's say, wow. easily by Yuri Geller. So we did a whole episode on that. So that's an area I'm completely fascinated. Mm. But I think what came across with... Uh, the Johnny Carson thing, your interview and other stuff I've seen with you is, it feels like his brain is just working at a thousand percent all the time, <laughs> you know, and I could tell him when you were interviewing it, it, it must be hard to kind of keep up with his train of thought and narrow him down. Yeah, that, that, that's actually very much how I describe Yuri. I guess his mind is working at a million miles an hour because, you know, his psychic powers or telekinesis or, you know, who knows. <laughs> um, but yeah, he when I interviewed him, he kept on going from this place to that place to the other place. Uh, eventually, in the interview, he flips the thing on me, which I was not expecting. He was asking, you know, what's what's your background? What do your parents do? Uh, where do you live? <laughs> All sort of things that you don't really uh, expect to, <laughs> to get as an interviewer. And again, this is this was one of my earliest calls that I did in the interruption. So I was, again, really in the deep end. But yeah, I think... He didn't say so much about the interruption, but was more saying, you know, his own beliefs on aliens and his relationship with with Dr. Buharich, who showed him aliens and how they used to use a tape deck to record alien messages on. And he was going at a million miles an hour and uh, it was very difficult to interview him, especially because I'm sure he's done so many interviews for so long that... I think he knows how to sort of get out of a situation. Mind powers, maybe, but... <laughs> yes, yeah, he definitely... I, I've, I've, when I brought it up on a, the previous episode, I met him and I find him... He, mm. he is an extraordinary fellow. Whether he's got magical powers or not, it doesn't really matter. He's, um, he's one of those people, you know he's in the room. And I felt that with you, he's, he had that ability to kind of... Um, I guess maybe he learnt it from having been on like shows like the Carson show he sort of dominates and never gives you a straight answer really um he'll give you stories but he won't give you a straight answer but I kind of I kind of admire that in a way in a funny kind of way when you'd spoken to him it feels like there was a bit of um a shift in your investigation sort of trajectory you sort of it felt like you were like right maybe maybe I'm barking up a, the wrong tree here. Was, was that a bit of a, a pivotal moment, that conversation? Yeah, there, there are lots of moments in which I arrive at dead ends. And that's the point, as I mentioned right at the start, when you start believing mm. in aliens. I think the route that, in, in that particular part of it, um, really leaning into the, the UFO religion angle of the message, um, thinking at the time... And, and that actually sustains a lot of the, the 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 interruption is, you know, it seems like it's a genuine message, not by aliens, but it seems that whoever's doing this has a really good reason. And that, that actually yeah. is the fuel that runs throughout the whole investigation of whoever, do, whoever has done this really knows their stuff and clearly wants to get a message across by impersonating an alien 
in order to sort of warn humanity. And that you get that a lot in UFO religions. But when you go and dabble with that sort of stuff, all roads lead to Yuri Geller, I think. He finds his way into all these different things. So he was the bottom of a particular rabbit hole I went down. And um, so you have the, the, the motive, which I worked on, which is maybe this is some sort of... It's a hoax, but not a prank. It's a, a sincere message Ooh. that has a purpose. But, you know, the other one which we look into quite a bit is method. How, how do you hijack a TV station? Like, it's never been done before in the UK, and it predates the Max Headroom incident, which you might be familiar with. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, pre- it predates that one, which is the really high-profile one, where a guy in a rubber mask comes onto the screen in Chicago in the 80s, dances on stage, dressed up as Max Headroom, says some, like, weird things about Pepsi and liberals, and then disappears. Um, so what I was wanting to know... How on earth do you hijack a TV station? How do you do it? Um, you must be pretty technically advanced uh, to get away with it. And that's another angle of the investigation, which I sort of try and pass out and go down many different roads of... Uh, I spoke to people that in, actually investigated the incident themselves. And they were of the opinion that, yeah, it's really complicated. This is probably governmental. You know, could it be a, a test to test the... Um, the strength of broadcasting. Because again, this is in the Cold War. Um, you know, jamming is is a, is a wartime activity. And then I also look into the world of pirate radio, who uh, the kind of folks that would climb up buildings in the 70s and get their sort of homemade TV shows, well, not TV shows, homemade radio shows out there. So that's another angle. And it all adds up to this weird picture, a strange Venn diagram where you have UFO religions on one side, broadcast jamming on the other side, and in the middle you have the interruption in the 70s where an alien breaks onto TV. It's just bananas. It's hard to describe. (laughs) It is, because this is, again, it all comes back to the time, so signals are analogue. It's In some ways it's an easier job than it would be today, although today you don't need to hijack anything. You can just do it. But back in the 70s one of the things it made me think of it's not a, a paranormal thing but obviously radio caroline is kind of at the the height of its fame and i took the following to be true but it turns out when i looked into it it was actually a publicity stunt but the the radio caroline um the people who'd set that up they put it about that they had bought two lancaster bombers and they were going to put tv studios in them and fly them over london and create another TV channel for London, uh-huh. and they would broadcast from the top of these, uh, from from the, the planes. Um, and apparently they did it once, but just as a, uh, just to get people's um, tongues wagging. There was no, there was no business plan or anything around it. But this idea of kind of hijacking people's eyes in a way, so hijacking in a different way, it sort of, it seems like a natural progression to go from, well, if we can do it with radio, Maybe we could do it with television, but it's just a lot harder and takes a lot more money and skill. If you, you know, having an amateur broadcasting station, it's difficult to set that up. You can't just go down Tandy and buy the kit. So, (laughs) but this sort of narrows you in when you're talking to these people in the pirate radio world. You definitely are, you obviously you go down the route of how and then, and then 
who would know how and where would they get that kit from? You know, it's like um, Back to the Future. You can't just go in and buy uranium anywhere. You can't just go and buy this kit. There has to be an element of homemade about it. Mm. What I discovered over the course of the investigation is, um, because I should mention, I find the person that does this. Yeah. Um, so it, I, the, the route I eventually take is one that, oh my gosh, you know, 45 years later, it's solved. I know the person. Um, what I discovered is I don't have any background in, in TV or certainly not hijacking, but it's actually really quite simple to do, especially back in the day. All you really need is a cassette tape with your alien message, um, a antenna to direct at the transmitter you want to target, batteries, and a getaway car. Um, and, and that's really <laughs> it. Um, and so learning that and learning how to, to hijack and how um, people in the world of pipe radio use that to get onto airwaves and make their own stations is kind of eye-opening. Um, these pirate radio people are very cool. Like, I would have loved to have been there in the day, running about, climbing up buildings, sticking things on antennas, because um, it was such a heyday in the 60s, 70s, and then in the 80s it starts getting violent. But the 70s was pretty at peace and love and stuff. And I met so many different people who just felt that radio back in the day it was not playing the music that they wanted to hear um mm. and today we're, we're so you know lucky to have spotify apple itunes to listen to whatever we want we can even listen to a podcast like now where we're talking about aliens interrupting the tv but back in the day you don't have that choice and so um these people in pirate radio took it upon themselves to make shows and they got really popular probably more popular than um, actual, you know, legal broadcasting. And uh, mm. all these different kinds of stations, all these different kinds of characters, lots of stories, lots of stories, in which the interruption sort of blends into all of them, really, especially with the UFOs and stuff as well. I remember, I was young, but I remember as a kid listening to Radio Caroline on a transistor radio when I went to bed. There was, I, mean, I think it comes across in that that your investigation of pirate radio, there was something just rebellious about it. I mean, I was too, it was like punk music, I remember yeah. them playing, and I was kind of too young to really appreciate it or particularly like it. But I kept listening because there was something that was different. And I think you explore that a bit with, you know, reggae stations and soul stations that weren't really being served by the mainstream media. It's it's almost quite, a, you know, we use the word pirate. It almost seems quite a romantic time in some way. I think so. Yeah, I, def I definitely think there's a romance in it. Um, and I, I, I like how we use the word pirate because it is sort of, you know, you're on the airwaves instead of the high seas. And, um, and you get all these characters. And the hard thing to remember, and the thing I often forget, is it was totally illegal. What I learned in, in, in talking to pirates, and I, I went to a pirate's house the other day to have a chat over a tea, um, that his mates got locked up in jail for doing this and they would take more chances with hijacking stations. Some would hijack Navy broadcasts um, and, you know, they'd, they'd end up in court. And yeah, there's something romantic about it. It's you are pirates. Fortunately, no one gets harmed. I think that's the thing that separates real pirates mm. from airwaves pirates. These pirates in the 70s and 80s are 
kind of doing the public a service, giving music for free that you can just tune into instead of, I don't know, looting and robbing. Uh, <laughs> these guys are quite quite chill. I find it amazing that in the height of it, some of those big pirates like Caroline had offices in London where record um, promoters would drop their records off, but you could also go in there and buy ads and they would make ads. It was it yeah. was a semi-legitimate business until um, the Maritime Broadcasting Act and that, that sort of um, changed it all. But it gave us Radio 1, but that's a... That's a side a side issue because that was the government's obviously attempt to uh, to find a legitimate way to give the kids what they really wanted. Yeah, but, yeah, but the yeah. other the other element of what I was thinking about when you were interviewing those people where there is quite a um, if if you if you're interested in the, the the ethereal peculiar side of it are these number stations that. Um, that are still mysterious and there was there's an element of that interruption that immediately took me to things like the woodpecker and those peculiar stations that we assume are for spying in uh russia and whatever did it ever cross i mean you did speak about like maybe it was a government test did you f- any point think well could this be a psyop by the soviet union could that be a thing yeah, it's something that it's something that I entertained, um, and something that in in the third episode I speak to people who that's what they thought about it. They mm. had actually been investigating it since the seventies, so you know they had developed this case. And yeah, broadcast jamming is used in the military. Uh, broadcast jamming is used in the military a fair bit. Um, something that I learnt was. Um, Especially in the Vietnam War, um, you get to these disruptions, and I don't. There's something that um, called Operation Wandering Soul. I don't know if you've heard of that. Operation no. Wandering Soul is really frightening. Um, in the Vietnam War, what the Americans did was they created basically a ghost mixtape, a, a cassette tape with sounds of Vietnamese spirits and ghosts, and they'd play them and they jam broadcasts with them and play them into the jungle late at night. Uh, There's audio of this. sort of clanging cymbals and drums and ghosts speaking Vietnamese. Um, these are really frightening. And that's what made me think of maybe this alien interruption is a similar thing because you have a frightening alien message which really resonates with the culture of the 70s. And it's a form of psychological warfare. So you might actually find that with the interruption or, or something I entertained with it is, could this actually be something to frighten the population with who knows um i certainly listen to the audio again and again and it's this low resonant voice which definitely caused fright at the time i spoke to people who actually saw the incident and they were sort of completely baffled by it um i guess the questions is the sort of um the the whys and the and the hows and the, the people i spoke to thought it was the british government testing it on themselves um because mm. Maybe it was a stress test, but then, it, you know, why target Hampshire? Why aliens? 
who knows? But it's definitely an angle I thought about. Um, and yeah, broadcast jamming has military purposes. And you see it even today um, in, in Iran at the moment, um, because the revolution's activities going on there, uh, people hijacking government broadcasts with picture of with pictures of the Ayatollah with a big red X being, you know, the blood of uh, our people are on your hands. And these broadcast jammings, like the interruption way back in the 70s, uh, they still happen, you know. It's 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 how we can use and attack media and get a message across. Yeah, yeah. I think in Russia as well, it's happened recently uh, because of the Ukraine war. Yeah, yeah. And even sort of with with Russia, there's a sort of there's one incident right at the start of the war when someone, a reporter, ran onto the news bulletin with a big placard, and it made me think much like the interruption, that was on a news broadcast. And mm. the message, much like with the Russian one, was a, a one of um, no war and abandon nuclear weapons. And it's so weird that 45 years later, and probably continuing, um, this is what this is why these things happen, to sort of send warnings, using the media as a sort of marketing tool for that. It's crazy. So when you, you start getting closer to your quarry, you must have been quite excited that you were going to be the first person to solve it what was what how did you without giving anything too much away can you just describe how you got there because it's quite a moment it's sort of it it jolts you up and go oh my god he's actually going to do it that you must have felt so excited uh it was pretty crazy (laughs) um so there are so many dead ends with this. Yuri Geller speaking to aliens, talking about government, pirate radio, Ethereum Society. I go inside a UFO temple. Um, and it was actually on that day when I spoke to my producer, Nikki, being like, oh, you know, we're just not going to make this. Like we've been looking, I've been looking for, for months um, and just dead end after dead end and realising that, yeah, it was 45 years ago. And there is no evidence apart from that alien message. There's just nothing. Uh, and then I found the person that did it <laughs> two days later, um, which is crazy. And it was through a very weird circumstance of asking the right people, asking the right questions. And I managed to get evidence in which I, I found the person speaking and I matched it to the audio because you have to you have to pitch shift the audio of the interruption up and you get this male nasal young man's voice. And the, the matching audio is the same person. And then there's other things, including, well, they told me. <laughs> they told me, the person mm. that I, I found uh, told me that he had done it. And um, and other people had corroborated that. And it was mind-blowing to just basically stumble in on the answer. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I felt very excited. and But then also I think it's quite bittersweet because the podcast, The Interruption this is the kind of where the mystery ends and it feels kind of sad to be doing that because it's been online for 45 years well not online for 45 years it's been around for 45 years Mm. online for 20 years um and something that i did feel um which i sort of discussed near to the end is it feels kind of sad to be the grim reaper for this kind of um, story because you you, you're closing it you're ending it the speculation goes away you find out the person that was behind it um and 
yeah obviously it's nice to know and I, I i love the fact that to be able to have solved it um especially because it's my new year's resolution which is you know something that's quite difficult to keep um but there's that bittersweet element of well with this story the speculation ends this podcast and the journey i went on to find the answer is the the final chapter of this really long and bizarre story it's crazy did you have a plan of if you couldn't find the answer how you're going to end the podcast because I felt that listening to it, I thought you know this is such a pressure to almost set that goal what if you'd not achieved it how would you have ended oh. <laughs> it's ah, oh, it's a good question what I've learned from investigations is that it is pretty emotionally taxing because you have to keep on like it's the hope that kills you you get really hopeful you get really excited and then you 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 lose that hope really quickly and you are really quite back at square one um and i talked to nikki my producer about this um after we met the ethereum society because we just have all these interviews that are fascinating but without the the closure or the, the conclusion how do you tell that story i think something we thought about at the time was Maybe it's just a dive into this world where, you know, it's not about the answer, it's about the journey. And I still kind of feel that today with this. Yeah. Yes, we mm. do get the answer and that's awesome. But really, the the journey I went on to, to get to that is, is what basically fills the podcast. Talking to Yuri Geller, chatting to an alien channeler, learning about the history of pirate radio um, and kind of everything in between. Um, and so, I'll, yeah, I think I think had we had not solved it, I think the podcast would be about the subcultures I had found doing this. Um, but it feels nice to actually say that, yeah, we actually found the person that did it. <laughs> and we put this sort of mystery to bed and the Wikipedia article on this has now changed <laughs> with the person's name. But before you go and look at the Wikipedia article, check out the podcast listen, first. Yeah, listen yeah. to the podcast first. <laughs> it's not as, not as satisfying. Uh, yeah. I think it's interesting where you're talking about the journey, because that really does come across in the series. You know, you nicely blend the investigation with the kind of personal elements that are going on for you. And there are ups and downs. And I think that's, that's one of the big strengths of the podcast, because while I was listening to it, I was feeling them with you, you know. Yeah. I was like, oh, is it a dead end? And we know on the podcast because we've, we've done certain investigations, you know, maybe it's because of that. I knew that feeling. And I knew that feeling when you find something that is like, oh, my God, this is what we've been looking for. So the highs and lows, I thought you brought that across really well. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, it's... Um, it, uh, it, with this one, I really wanted to capture the sort of my journey and my uh kind of emotions going into it and 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 that sort of ups and downs and um because it was loads of fun especially when you're talking about a story like this but you you know you you have moments of despair and jubilation when you find out the person that did it um but ultimately it's it's just this weird mishmash of subcultures that collide in an event in the 70s with an alien called Vrillon. And uh, yeah. <laughs> was there anything that you had to leave out of the podcast that, you know, some avenues that just, they didn't work in audio, but they were still interesting to you? There is so much that has not been included. So much. 
Um, and it's why I am thinking of, of having some follow-up material. Um, but I can say some of it now because they're, they're tangents that don't fit into the main thread of the story but mm. are fascinating. One of them is there are more interruptions. There are more of these. And um, with the same alien group, Vrilon and Ashtar Command, in South America, across South America, in Brazil, Argentina, uh, you get these disruptions on radio and TV. And um, they are from aliens, quote-unquote aliens, Mm -hmm. um, people impersonating aliens. And they are warnings. Exactly the same messaging as the Vrilon one in the UK, but they're from the 80s and 90s across South America. And there was no way to really include that in the way that I wanted to without suddenly going to Brazil or suddenly going to Argentina to solve that mystery. Um, But something I do mention in the podcast or or talk to an interviewee about is the fact that I had never have heard of this or or often with instances like this, we only hear hear about them because they're in English. And the sort of, you know, our culture, our online culture is written in English and we don't get to hear about these things in, say, the tip of Argentina or deep in Brazil, where you have these other messages. So that is one thing that didn't get included, which I would love to follow up on in some way. Oh, there's so more. Prank calls where people pretend to be aliens. Um, And yeah, stories in pirate radio that are just crazy. Yeah, one of the people that I... I mean, was interested in a guy called Rex Dutter, who was probably the first to launch an investigation into this. He knew of, and he was present for, a prank call that happened on a radio show, a live radio show in the early 70s, where an alien, quote unquote, calls in and has a warning and says that they can see the studio and would like to talk to uh, the Prime Minister. I think it was Callahan. I'm not too sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so so that's that. And that could potentially be a precursor, but there's just so little information on that that it couldn't get included. Um, and in since the podcast has been released, I have been receiving messages from people that um, have more to say and knew the person that did it. And that's what I was talking about the other day, about me going to see someone for a tea and talk about this. Because right. uh, independently, I didn't get in contact with them but they told me stuff about the person that did it that um, was really interesting. You know, plans to, you know, uh, do more. <laughs> um, it's I could see your brain working there. You don't want to give it away, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> but this person had had grander plans for this message, and and the, exactly, and, and yeah. it's a genuine message, isn't it? He it wasn't just like you said. Um, it's it's it wasn't just done for fun. That there was a reason for it. Yeah, there's well, it's it's hard to to fully know anyone's motives, but all I do know is that the message itself is so well crafted. It's if you read it, it's it sort of seems a bit nonsense. It's Ashtar Command. It's a warning, and it goes on for six minutes. But the amount of sort of knowledge that the person brings into the message really demonstrates that this person knows what they're talking about and they have a warning um, and clearly very, very, you know, knowledgeable about these sort of things. And so I, I, I grapple with 
figuring out the motives and what the motives are and what they aren't when I get to sort of the the last episodes and yeah surprises in that dimension as well <laughs> and it sounds like from what you're saying there could be a I was going to say the interruption too but maybe a second interruption is a better title um yeah or do, or do you think you want to move on to something different do do a different phenomena or are you are you hanging up your podcast boots what's next ah it's it's always hard to know I know that um there are more stories in the chamber and I think that um stack and the the people I made this with stack had such a great time with it so I think they're they're you know as excited am I to uh to see what sort of other journeys there are in the world but yeah I'm I think that when it comes to a story like The Interruption, you know, there's obviously, you know, could you do something like Max Headroom? But then my reservations on that is, I feel like I've, I've, I've been in the world of broadcast interruptions for the time being. Mm. So I, I'm looking right. in whatever story that is coming my way um, for something just different and new. But I know that I am very interested in um, investigations, internet mysteries, and the more obscure the better so that's kind of my my realm right. um so yeah any suggestions <laughs> but i've got some yeah, in mind yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll probably send you an email with a list i'm sure <laughs> yeah yeah i became quite obsessed with the uh, circadia mystery for a while um we'll talk about that at another time but that is yeah that's a crazy one but when you as you sort of um exited out of it did it i mean i suppose there's no reason why it necessarily would but it did it change your perspectives on the people who do believe in ufos and aliens did it sort of because most people i think would go well they're just crazy did you sort of get a deeper insight and you came away with more sympathy and more understanding definitely i think that a big part of this investigation is about ufo religions um and it's yeah it's a strange thing to say ufo religions um but what i had felt in in the reporting about them is it's overwhelmingly negative and sometimes you know that could be justified i think with with some groups they do demonstrate oppressive behaviors but the word cult gets used a lot and sometimes for groups that just have no you know bearing in that world there for example the theorist society who i went to they're just a bunch of nice people who offered me tea and were very happy to talk but they get mocked quite a lot about their beliefs and they get called cults and they take issue with that uh, which i think is quite unfair because cult is such a loaded term and when it used incorrectly i just think it does more harm than good um so what i felt also because i'm a, a a sort of a student of religions i love learning about them is what i felt with ufo religions is it's just another form of religion i think it's just a broader part it's, it's part of a broader world of religious thought and they operate in the same ways as other religions do and other religions just have more years behind them but really it's the same thing of you have a prophet you've got a message from heaven and you have some sort of grounding central text and these ufo religions definitely have that um so you know i, I think we'll this might be a bit sort of out there but i think that as we go on in the 21st century we're going to see 
new kinds of religions based in the world we had we have uh, i'm thinking things to do with cyberspaces or you know the metaverse if that kicks off which i kind of i don't know if i want that <laughs> um and it will seem weird to, to describe that but you know when ufo religions kicked about in the 50s when they started to come up it was in the culture you had movies like uh, the day the earth stood still where an alien comes down and warns people um and then that inspires the UFO movements. And also it blends in Cold War. So I think what we're probably going to see is you will get new religious movements emerging, ones that are going to blend the culture we live in, this online culture and religion. Because you, you kind of see it already with, with recruitment drives and, you know, people getting really interested in, in like online gaming it's a really community building and I think religion is, is a form of community building. As long as there are people around, I think you're going to find religion and we all have our beliefs and our religions in, in one form or another. So maybe in 50 years time, I make a podcast about <laughs> techno spirituality, but for the time being, <laughs> aliens will probably suffice. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brilliant. that that has been fascinating and I think it's a, it's a really refreshing take because I think the 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 freedom of storytelling that podcast allows mean that you get that deeper insight i think if it had been an hour on history channel we'd have discovered something different even if we'd got to the end um we it television carries all of the um the prejudices of um the medium which it you know it are necessitated by the medium but your journey it is just you. I can see talking to you. It is genuinely just you. Um, so you can get it just for our audience. You can get it on every podcast catcher going. Uh, there are eight episodes plus a trailer, I think. Mm, yes. The Interruption uh, is the name of the podcast. It's made by me and Stack. And yeah, you can find it, as you mentioned, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, um, and Google, it's out there, much like the alien message, you know. It's out there if you want to find it. <laughs> and and if people want to know more about you, how can they find you on the socials? Yeah, so I, well, I have a YouTube. So that's Hochelaga, H-O-C-H-E-L-A-G-A. It's a strange name. <laughs> um, and I make videos um, about obscure topics. Um, we're edging close to the 1 million mark. We're on 700,000. So I'd like, nice. you know, uh, to, to make more videos and en enjoy that. That's a bunch of fun. But you can find me on Twitter at Tommy Trelawney and on Instagram at Tommy Trelawney. Yeah, that's me. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us. No, that thank is you fascinating. for having me. I love the podcast. I listened to the episode yesterday about um, maps and cartography and blew my mind. So thank you for having me. Oh. oh, it's been a pleasure. It's really great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. Are you the quantum mechanics?